we have been uh, trying to stay right along there on the last days and uh, as we've considered our statement of faith and uh, we're probably uh, going to bump that bump into that just a little bit tonight but that's really not the the heart that I have uh, for tonight the Lord just played a thought on my heart that uh, I feel like was is fitting really to be honest I don't normally try to pick a, a, a message for the crowd or for the for the time of week it is but I feel like it's be real fitting for a Wednesday night service. Normally on Wednesday nights, you've got the people that's here that want to be here. And uh, sometimes you find that uh, we, we deal with things in the scripture uh, and try to reach a lost dying world or deal with a wayward soul or whatever the Lord has in mind. But tonight I want to just really focus in on the church that's serious about doing something for the Lord. All right, and that's, that's my heart. And I just trust the Lord will help us in that. All right. So Second Timothy, uh, chapter number two. Let's read uh, verse number twenty-four. And I'm going to read Second uh, Timothy chapter number two, verse number twenty-four, and continue into chapter number three, on down to verse number five. Okay. Then we'll pray, and I'll do my best to give you what the Lord's burdened our heart with tonight. Uh, and get down and get out of the way. I've got a watch on tonight. I'm going to start trying to pay a little more attention to it uh, so we can get people out of here before it gets dark. Ain't that right, Miss Barbara? <laughs> all right. Now, she didn't tell me to preach shorter, but she does have a hard time getting home in the dark, so we're going to try to help her, all right? So 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 2 and verse number 22 says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And the Bible says here, verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Now much is said about our motivation of our heart and uh, how Paul wept with tears and, and went above and beyond the call of duty and done all those things. But it's hard for a burly person to be gentle. When you live in a society that's rough as a corn cob anyway, and you're, the, the job that you may have is with rough people, uh, you know, and you live in a rough world and a rough society dealing with rough people, it's hard to be gentle sometimes. Uh, it takes heavy-handedness sometimes to complete the task at hand, uh, it's hard to be heavy-handed to be man enough to handle certain things or woman enough to handle certain things, yet also maintain a gentle spirit. And uh, trust me, I'm telling you that from not only Bible, but I'm telling you that from experience. It's hard sometimes to be gentle. You'll find sometimes you just get absolutely caught in the moment. And you find you're not gentle, and you have to sometimes go back and even apologize or fix some problems that you didn't even mean to set forth, all right? But the Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Notice that. All men. Apt to teach. Patient. Interesting, that's not the first time that you're going to find that, or the only time that Paul warns Timothy or admonishes him or exhorts him to be apt to teach. Okay, patient, you won't be gentle if you're not patient, I can assure you that. And verse 25 says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Have you ever run into anybody that opposed themselves? Amen. Amen. People opposing themselves all the time. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So nowhere, nowhere does Paul tell Timothy to compromise on the truth. He just says to be apt to teach, gentle unto all men and patient with meekness. Verse 26 says, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare. Now, notice that, and that they may recover themselves. You know people have to help themselves. I want you to notice that tonight. You can't make anybody help themselves. Uh, it is our desire that they get help, but we can only do what we can do. And it would be a good day in your life and a good day in mine. When we realize that it's not left up to us to fix other people's problems. It's up to us to love people, 
to make 100% sure that we don't lay in blame or get in the way of someone getting right, but understand that they still may not get right because they're a free moral agent that has the will to do what they want to do. So we, through gentleness and patience and meekness, heavy-handedness won't get the job done. You know you're not heavy-handed enough to get the job done? Neither am I. We're just heavy-handed enough to run somebody off. And so the Bible says here, this though also. Notice this. How do we roll right in here? We just scroll right out of chapter 2, right into chapter number 3. He said, this know also. So we're combining what we're fixing to find in uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 3 with the ending of chapter number 2. What we're just talking about right here flows right into chapter number 3. This know also. So it's important that, that Timothy understand what Paul's fixing to say to him along with what we just read. It said, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For this is how we know it. Now I understand perilous times is not just necessarily all that we're fixing to read about, but this is a stamp that shows you that you're in perilous times. This know also that in the last days, we have done learned that we're in the last days. We've been in the last days since Jesus Christ was crucified. But we are in the last days of the last days because we're seeing some things come to pass. Now, not to get sidetracked or chase a rabbit, nothing has to happen for the Lord to come. The Lord can come as soon as God tells him to. But I want you to understand something, that the Bible is showing us some things that will happen in these last days in these perilous times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. You try to be good and let your light shine down, you're hated for it. Uh, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Now, we could spend a long time defining each one of these words that Paul is using to describe these perilous times and what will be in them. But we would agree tonight that from verses 2 down through verse number 5, that that is describing the day in which we live in today. Every one of the things that we're finding in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 are very prominent in society today. Not one of these or two of these or three of these, but every one in which I have read in your hearing tonight is prominent in the land in which we live in today in today's society and worsening all of the time. What does that mean? That means that you and I are certain that the things that's being described to Timothy from Paul are happening in this day, but the Bible says this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. What is perilous? Perilous is dangerous, hazardous, full of risk. Now, we would understand today by looking at the things that we read in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verses 2 through 5, that because these things are so, we know we're in this perilous time. You and I are living in a hazardous, risky, dangerous time. Now we do get up in the morning and we do go to work or we do go to our place of business, we do start our day and I don't think we understand or realize the danger of the days in which we live. We are just a snap of a finger away from, from extreme trouble in the nation in which we live in for the church. And to be honest with you, the only thing that really is keeping it down is we live in a state today of lukewarm Christianity. If we had a, if we had a revival in America today, God could work and use the church, but it would cause an uprising out of our government. The church is more lackadaisical and cold and complacent than any other time and because of that, we are not much of a threat to the government in which we live in. Should the church ever get revival, I mean not a church, not a local, I mean the church 
get revival in this nation, it would be an uprising like you have never seen in your life. But for the born-again believer that wants to get sold out, wants to get right in accordance to the Scripture and give himself or herself to the will of God, you're living in a dangerous day. Unfortunately, not only in the society in which you live in, but also within the church that you may belong to. For the church is so full of carnal people today, if you try to get separated for God, there will be people who will call you a fanatic or a lunatic or crazy. And so we, we push separation. We've been preaching on separation. We've been preaching on the importance of what Paul was teaching concerning being unequally yoked and separating ourselves from the things of this world. You know, love not the world. These are the things that are in the world. There's, there's things that we are to give our mind to and think upon and so on and so forth. And the list could go on and on and on. And so we preach it from the pulpit. We hear it from the pew. And the idea is to get close to God and get separated from the world. Not isolated, but separated from the world. Understanding, though, that when you do that, danger is still lurking ahead. And it's coming in these last days. But I want you to notice that although we're in perilous times, although we're in some of the most dangerous days that uh, we have ever seen, and surely to get more dangerous all the time, because you're going to find verses 2 through 5 get worse, and as they get worse, so does the danger in which we are surrounded by. And so we understand that it's still that we should be apt to teach. It's still that we should be patient. It's still that we should have a pure heart. It's still that we should be meek. It's going to be hard to do that against a a society that is heavy-handed with you, yet God is saying that you and I, Paul's teaching Timothy, are to be gentle. It's hard to be gentle when you're being pushed around, right? Now, there's a danger not only in these last days in the world that we live in, but there's a danger in the church. And there's a danger with us as individuals because you realize for every road that one travels down, there's a ditch on either side of that road. You don't want to travel into the ditch on the right side, nor do you want to travel into the ditch on the left side. So you want to stay right down the middle of the road, right? That narrow way which still leads by the cross of Calvary. Understanding today that we are saved by grace. Now, if we're saved by grace, then you would understand, and we've used this definition often, that grace is unmerited favor, right? So we know, and just don't get caught up in the elementary of this just yet, just hang on. We're building on to where I'm headed, but grace being unmerited favor means that everyone in the sound of my voice, none of us deserve grace. None of us deserve salvation. You weren't good enough to get it, so you were given a free gift. Now, I like the definition of unmerited favor, but I like this definition better. Grace means something for nothing. In other words, payment was made for you and for me, but we weren't worth what was paid for us. So what are you saying? The cost was great. God was willing to pay a great price for something that wasn't worth what he paid for. So we must be careful in our our determination to stay separated and holy and sanctified and consecrated and all these things that we're trying to do to be like Christ that we do not have the air about us that folk when they get around us feel like we are looking down our nose at them as if we are self-righteous but they are nothing. The righteousness that you have today was imputed to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not yours. It's his. You are covered by his blood, washed in his blood. We are sinners saved by grace. Something for nothing. Now here's what I want to deal with. We see the importance in these last days of being right with this book. In a society where most people have gone so liberal, we are determined beyond a shadow of a doubt to live out our last days, to finish our course with joy, uh, to fight the good fight of faith. I mean, we are going to do it, right? That's what we preach. That's what we teach. If it hair lips the devil, if the world gets mad, we're going to stay with the old paths, right? That's right. But we better be careful while we do it. We better be careful how we do it, not to become self-righteous. 
And the second we forget that the Lord paid something for nothing, we are in trouble today. Now some of us, as born-again believers who have sold out to the things of God, get so heavenly-minded sometimes that we're no earthly good. It's, 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 it's just the way that we are. We are carnal in our spirituality sometimes. In our endeavor to stick with the old paths, we can get so carnal in that that we become self-righteous. Now, I don't say, and I'm not saying that anybody in the sound of my voice is trying to do that. But I hate to tell you, you don't have to try to do that. You have the natural ability to do that. So as in all things, we have to fight the flesh. And we have to fight that, right? So number one, it's good this tonight to be reminded that the Lord paid uh, something for nothing as we go into this, uh, as we go into this thought. Now, uh, I, I thought about holy living. And I, I, if you will, go with me to Philippians uh, chapter number uh, four, I believe is where I want to be. Philippians chapter number four. Let's see if I'm where I need to be here. Well, I don't know if I'm in the right place or not. All right, chapter 4, verse 1. We'll just start there. The Bible says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now I want you to understand something. There's a special bond between Paul and the church at Philippi. Okay? Now, there's no doubt he loved the church at Corinth, Brother Marvin, because we've seen it as we've studied through it, how he wept and he cried and he said, I'll spare not, and he went above and beyond the call of duty to deal with the church of Corinth and help them out of their carnality into spiritual growth, all right? But here's the thing about the church at Philippi that caused Paul to have such fond feelings towards the church at Philippi. They actually got it, Brother Marvin. They latched on to the truth and allowed it to become effectual in their life. Now, you want to see a preacher that's discouraged get encouraged it doesn't take a whole lot. It, it takes that one individual that's drove him to the brink of about losing his mind to actually get it one day and the light bulb to come on to cause that preacher to have all the joy that he can stand in happiness in a day's time. Because so much effort and prayer and time goes into that and then the light bulb comes on. It, it's amazing how that person that really could cause you to want to choke them more than anybody on the face of God's earth can also, at just about in one sentence, soften your heart to the place that you couldn't love them anymore. Because you see what God has done. Somebody will say something sometimes that will let you know that something connected in that mind of theirs. In their heart, something happened and God brought the word of God into their life and they was able to make application with it. All right, now you can't make application when interpretation is wrong, but you work so hard to get interpretation right that eventually the application makes sense. The light bulb comes on, the dots connect. It makes a change in their life. And you think, well, I'm not running in vain. Now we're not running in vain when we serve the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of the outcome. But here again, like I said, we're carnal. And sometimes in our willing to be spiritual, we get carnal. And we want to see people latch on. And when they do, it's a great encouragement. But Paul, he, he, he loves the church of Philippi. He has a special bond with them. And so people that frustrate you the most sometimes have the ability to melt your heart the fastest. It's an amazing thing. I don't understand it, but it's the way it goes. But the Bible says here, therefore my brethren dearly beloved and longed for, he longed for them. My joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord. They, Paul was going to have some crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus for the, for the application of, that the church of Philippi had made with the word of God. This church was founded. You understand that Paul worked and labored and loved them. And they were, they were doing something that would cause the, uh, the, the word of God to be effectual in other people's lives. 
That's what church planting is, right? Church gets builded and planted and, and grows and people get right with God and they grow in grace and knowledge and they go out and they share the, the gospel with other people. Other souls get saved. There was fruit that would be accounted to Paul for the church at Philippi. That's why he says here, and long for my joy and crown. He says, so stand fast, Lord, my dearly beloved. But notice of all the things that we find that is good about the church at Philippi, we still find a small little issue happening down at the church at Philippi. Let me explain to you this issue. It says, I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the, Lord, in the Lord. He's called out two individuals in the church. They were not of the same mind. There was a conflict of some capacity between these two individuals. He said, I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Can I say, in the, in the best of churches, in the best of churches, there will always be carnality. There will always be somebody that ain't got it just quite right or allowed some bird to get under the saddle. So we're never going to reach perfection, although we're trying and striving for it. We need to be realist at the same time and understand that as long as there's a Mount Tabor Baptist Church, there's always going to be something that we've got to work around and work through. Okay? So the Bible said, I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind of the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So what he's saying in here, you all help them. Don't hurt them. They're in a little bit of a disagreement here. It's obviously not a major, major thing. Paul don't spend a whole lot of time on it. It's not gross immoral sin, but he's saying it does need help. Can I say to you, even the smallest of problems in the church need help. If we let small problems go unchecked, they become big problems. And can I say to you, if you have a small problem, while it's small, you better go straighten that thing out and get it ironed out before it becomes a big problem. But Paul said here, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Talking about the church. They were yoked equally. They were in one mind and one accord in the scripture. And he's saying to them, go help. Now he warned the church at Corinth, don't be puffed up, you deal with sin. But he's telling the church of Philippi, hey, you true yoke fella, y'all go down there and try to help these two ladies. Notice about these two ladies that I entreat thee also, true yoke fella, help those women which labor with me in the gospel. They were laborers, Brother Marvin. I, I, I believe if we read the context of the scripture, we'd find that these women were probably at the church of Philippi at the founding stages of the church. And he has a heart for them. They labored with him. He said, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also and with, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. He's talking to safe folk. And he's telling them, you need to go and help these two ladies. But then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice. There wasn't anything going on that should keep people from rejoicing in the Lord. But then he says this, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, understand with me, he's talked over here in chapter 3 in verses number 15 through 19 about being, uh, he said, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. He's talking about unity here. He's talking about unity. And then we get here into verse 17, down through verses number 19, and we deal with the fact that truth should not be compromised for the sake of unity. Because he says, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often that now I tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. So he's not saying just anything goes. But he's saying these two ladies right here are not of the same mind. There's something, and you realize today that we are all individuals. We all have our own personalities. We all are on different spiritual planes today. Every one of us, in the sound of my voice tonight, could be uh, 
not in open rebellion against God, have the motivation to do what God wants us to do and be what God wants us to be, but still be in spiritual, different spiritual planes. But if we get so heavenly minded that we're earthly good, we'll go hurt one of them people. All right, so now here's, here's, what, here's what we do here. The Bible says in verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now I want you to understand, first of all, the definition of moderation. It is the state of being moderate. Moderate is being placed between extremes. We do not wish tonight to be extremists. Now, you can extremely love the Bible and extremely love the Lord, but when you become an extremist, you forget that you are bought with a price, but what he paid for you, you wasn't worth it. He paid something for nothing. And so we consider this word moderate placed between extremes. You find that some, Christian, some Christians... I'll be honest with you, I, I, when I got a hold of the Bible, Brother, Brother Shane, and began to really, the Lord began to work in my heart and I got a zeal to do something for the Lord. I got sold out, I got yielded. I, I, I must be honest with you, I had some extremist tendencies about me. Now, I look back on it now, I was very stupid and ignorant in the scripture. I wasn't really well-rounded in the scripture. I had a zeal, but I was lacking in knowledge, all right? And uh, so I, I began to look at people that were not on the same spiritual plane as I was. They, didn't, they, they did things that I wouldn't do. But in all honesty, it wasn't all that long before that I was doing them and saying that I loved the Lord when I did it. But through progressive sanctification and the word of God working in my heart, the Lord began to cut away those things. Do you know that's what studying your Bible will do? It will shave away the things that need to be removed and cause you to take new shape and new form and be formed and molded into the image of the God that we serve. All right, so having said that, would you agree that we are to be holy? We're to be holy for he is holy. We understand that. It is not wrong to work in a fashion in the Bible and work on your life to try to be as close to Jesus as you possibly can. But you do understand, to be like Jesus also means sometimes that you have to pay something for nothing. Sometimes we have to give of ourselves when we don't see the fruit of our labor come to fruition. But that's what being Jesus is like. Now we don't like to be like Jesus when we get to that part. We like to be like Jesus in certain areas, but when we start having to do the sacrificing and taking it on the chin and doing something for nothing and giving of ourselves in that manner, we, we're not as consecrated and separated and dedicated as we thought we were sometimes. All right, but we're to work that way. But here's what I find happens sometimes. For the born-again believer who's sold out and serious and loves the Lord and is determined no matter what comes, we are going to stay in the fight we have sometimes the tendency to give the air that we are being a little self-righteous. And let me tell you what happens. And we don't mean to be. We don't mean to be, but sometimes it happens. What happens is sometimes we try to defend the Lord. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. We love him. He died for us. And because he died for us, we take it personal when somebody does something that is offensive to the Lord. You should. But I, can I say to you that the Lord doesn't need you to defend him. As a matter of fact, the Lord would require us to shut our mouth a lot more than what we do. I would like for you, if you will, to, to turn with me to Mark chapter 14 for just a moment. And, and if I could say this, I, I, I assure you tonight, I'm, I've done live this and read through this, and the Lord's helped me with this, these scriptures and, and showed me more, and, and I knew these things, but helped me this week. And I'm not uh, trying to beat up on anybody. I just want to try to help us tonight. Now, let's read uh, Matthew chapter 14. I want to start in verse 26. These are familiar passages, but I want to bring out something that I don't normally deal with. The Bible says, And when they had uh, sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now they had just 
uh, been dealing with the Lord's Supper here. All right? And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives, and Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Now I want to stop right there. How many of us look at these perilous times we're in? How many of us see the severity of the way our country is going down the drain? And how adamant we are to be separated, dedicated, consecrated, love the Lord, going to stick in there with the old paths all the way to the bitter end. That's our mindset, and it should be. You shouldn't come off of that for a second. Peter had the attitude that Peter was going to love the Lord when nobody else would love the Lord. Notice he said, but Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. No, not me. I'm determined. I would say to you, Peter had the right attitude in one sense. Peter was determined. You and I should be determined. But the problem is Peter thought more of himself than he should have. And you and I sometimes, if we're not careful, we don't mean to, but we think more of ourselves than we should. The Bible says here, Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. So Jesus is warning him here, but Peter's not listening. Now I find sometimes in our desire to serve him to the bitter end and hold to the old path, sometimes we still don't listen. We still miss it. We still forget that we're but flesh. Now I'm not licensing you or licensing me. But I'm saying we must not think that we love him more than our flesh is able. We have to love him by grace. The same grace that saved you or the same grace that was extended to you is the same grace Paul said we needed to make it day by day. You can't love him the way you need to love him of your own accord. You have to love him by absolutely accepting the grace of God that's provided you. And Jesus is saying to him in this to his face, you're going to deny me thrice. But he says, but he speak the more, or speak the more vehemently if I should die with thee. Oh, he was ready to die for him. Is it not easy to sit, now let's be honest, is it not easy to sit in the church in the air conditioning with the fans running in our padded pews with our Bibles open besides our, beside our beautiful brides or our spouses and, and just, we'll serve the Lord to the bitter end till the bitter comes, right? Then things begin to change. What happens? Carnal kicks in. So he said, but he spake the more vehemently if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit you here while I shall pray. Now I want you to grab this. Please take this and notice this. Verse 33 says, and he taketh with him Peter and James and John. Now, Jesus needed to pray because his flesh was fixing to have to endure some things. His flesh wasn't going to want to endure. And in all reality, although his heart was to serve his father, and he said, Lord, I come in the volume of the book that's written to me to do thy will, O God, his flesh wasn't looking forward to what the cross of Calvary was going to bring to his flesh. But even, even knowing that Peter desired the things that he said, Jesus, knowing more than Peter, knew that Peter would fail him yet for some reason wanted him to go on with him and pray. Isn't it amazing today that the Lord wants to use us? Hey, isn't it amazing today that the Lord wants you to teach a Sunday school class or sing in the choir or preach the gospel or play the piano or witness or visit somebody that's lost and dying or or go visit the sick or the poor? Isn't it amazing today? We don't realize it. We don't realize that when we stand behind the pulpit or when we sit in the pew and we say, no matter what, to the end it's over with, I'm going to serve the Lord. And we mean it. We mean it. <laughs> but Jesus looks at us and goes, them poor, pitiful people. It's just grace. Something for nothing. I love them. They're willing. Their heart's right. But boy, the flesh is weak. 
And I want you to understand something, friend. Your flesh is weak. You're as carnal as can be. And so am I. I've got flesh. I'm robed in it. What are you saying today? I'm saying have the attitude that you want to serve him. You need that. He's looking for you to have that attitude. He's looking for you to have the, the grit and the zeal to stick it out. But he also knew when he saved you that you was worthless as an old dog. And he knew when he saved you before he saved you that you still was going to fail. And on your best day, friend, you're a rotten, wretched, sorry, miserable, no good, down for nothing, failure. And so am I. Something for nothing. Something for nothing. We're failures today. But it amazes me. He warns Peter. Listen, he knew Peter was going to use vile language. Hey, there's some people, friend, we won't forgive that Jesus would. There's some people that's done some things that they're sorry that's caused them to weep. But the Bible says in the last verse of that chapter that Peter wept. There are people, friend, that Peter wasn't far from Jesus his whole life. Peter was right there beside Jesus, walking and learning and being taught by him. He had a zeal, but he was still a failure. But he said he wept. And there's sometimes, well, there's people that you and I know that have got into situations that's done things that we thought was so awful that we couldn't forgive them for it. Because you know why we can't forgive them for it? We forgot that the Lord bought us something for nothing. We act self-righteous. We act like they can't be used of God. Listen, you can't harm your testimony. You can do some things that will scar you up. But God will always open his arms to you when, you are for, when you're begging for forgiveness and your heart is right. He will let you do something for him. Because he is a merciful God. He allowed Peter, knowing Peter would fail him, to do something. Lord, I'm preaching tonight. The Lord's allowing me to preach tonight knowing that I'm but flesh. And that one of these days I'm going to have to go before the throne of grace. And I'm not, I'm not saying a moral, gross immoral sin. I'm saying though I'll have to realize one day that I and my flesh have failed him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. But he still gives me the grace to stand and preach. Paul, adamant that you deal with sin. Adamant. But he's also adamant that you better be patient, gentle, meek. Because the second that we stop doing those things, we become self-righteous, no good hypocrites. So here's what we do sometimes. We act like we have to defend the Lord. We act like that when people do something that we think we shouldn't do because we have the respect that we should have for the Lord, that somehow we have to protect God from their disrespect. When in all reality, the Lord's seeing the motivation of their heart and he's not viewing it the same way you are. But you and I sometimes, we're quick to hand it down, buddy. We're quick to open our mouth and straighten it out. Amen. We're quick to handle up on it immediately. I got news for you. It'd do us all good to get the immediately stuff and put it aside. Amen. Our first reaction ought to be the very thing that shuts our mouth. We ought to stop before we say anything and think about it. Think about it. Go to somebody and ask them, help me with this. I, get, get an opinion. Go to the Bible, pray, but don't act upon your first reaction. It almost always is carnal. Jesus said, I'm going to let Peter come pray with me. The rest of them, the rest of them stayed back. But Peter, James, and John said, come with me. Come a little farther with me. Isn't it amazing that the Lord will accept you and use you and, and take you knowing that you have the potential of not just failing him, but failing him awful. But then I want you to notice this, though. The same Jesus that knew Peter would fail him was the same Jesus that knew Peter would end up dying for him and giving his life for him. You know what that is, don't you, Brother Ray? That's progressive sanctification. That's Peter saying, well, I'm a failure. But I'm so sorry that I've done that. And I'll make sure I don't do that again. And the grace that God gave him, 
Caused him to love his Lord even more. You know why we ought to love him? <laughs> because he bought us for nothing. He paid something for nothing. Paid something for nothing. So the Bible tells us here, and he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and be very heavy and said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful and death tear you here and watch. Even in uh, the Lord praying, <laughs> these men were failing. Their flesh, we're seeing a picture of what the flesh does. Jesus was praying because he was having an issue. But can I say to you, in Jesus' issue, he was having to put his issue aside and go deal with them and their inability to do what he asked them to do. You know what Jesus does for me and you? He puts aside sometimes what he's working on to come down here and deal with little old me and little old you and coax us along and say, come on now. Come on now, let me help you. You realize how pitiful we are today? Pitiful. But here's what I want you to see. Let's go to verse 41 of Mark chapter 14. The Bible says, And he cometh the third time, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. It is enough, the hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And immediately, now notice, Peter, Peter wasn't much help. In praying. But the Bible says, And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude of swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and elders. And he that betrayed him had given him a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. Now notice verse 47. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. You'll find this story in Matthew chapter number 26. You know who cut off the ear? Peter. You know what Peter was doing? Peter had the crowd with him, you know, had that little group. And had the Lord standing there. And he felt empowered when he was with his little group and with the Lord standing there. So he, in his haste, cuts the ear off. Of Malchus, I believe was his name. And we find that what happens? Did the Lord rebuke Malchus? Now notice what the Bible says here. And Jesus answers unto them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Well, when we go to Matthew 26, verse number 51, the Bible says, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant on the high priest, uh, excuse me, struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, Jesus is rebuking Peter. He's letting him know, I don't need you to cut the ear off of this man. I can take care of his ear myself. I've got 12 legions of angels that can come get me anytime I call on them. Can I say to you, the Lord don't need us. We know that. But I tell you, not just that the Lord don't need us, the Lord don't need us to run in there and defend him all the time. He said, if I were hungry, I would not tell thee. He didn't ask us to defend him all the time. He said to live for me, to serve me, to do what I'm asking you to do. We can preach and we can teach and we can help people by example, but we don't have to hastily defend the Lord by whacking people's ears off. Now what, what happens is we have two ears and one mouth. This mouth right here is an unruly member. And this unruly member sometimes affects people by going into their ears. And we cut them to the heart with the things that we say instead of allowing the word of God to, to work in their life. We use this unruly member as a sword for evil. Not even meaning to sometimes, but if we speak the truth in love, the word of God could work those things. And so I find that we, we oftentimes try to defend. And what's amazing to me, sometimes you see people, you know, I mean, do you expect someone at 35 because they don't get it? We just don't get it. Why they don't, we don't understand why they don't get it. 
we, we give ourselves all kinds of room, but we don't have any room for others sometimes. And so we, we have to do what Paul said. We have to have moderation. We can't fall into the left ditch of liberalism. But we cannot be self-righteous and run down the ditch of, of, of Phariseeism. And, and it's easy to do with the best of us. Those that are sold out and trying to do the best we can, we fail. So having said that, we find that Peter goes on and he does deny the Lord. He does do all that Jesus said he would do. And when he realized it, the Bible says in verse number 14, or chapter 14, verse number 72, and the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. He wept. We ought to weep for sinners. We ought to weep for lost souls. Sometimes it'd be good for us to weep over ourselves and realize what Jesus done for us, not only what he done for us, but what he does for us day by day. And if you don't want to be self-righteous today, you know how you're going to have to do that? You're going to have to constantly remember Jesus paid something for nothing. You can't preach to somebody that they are nothing if you also are not nothing. You understand how that works. All right, and so having said that, let's look at Matthew 18. And let's look at what Jesus is teaching his disciples here and we'll be done tonight. Matthew chapter number 18, the Bible says at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Question. A question to who? A question to the disciples. So undoubtedly, he's asked a question to engage the minds of the disciples that they might begin to think so that he can teach them a valuable lesson. This lesson in verse number two, the Bible says, and Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. So the child was center of attention and Jesus is teaching a lesson. Verse three said, and verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now we understand that childlike faith is how one has to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to know everything about it. It's not, it's not what we don't know that gets us in trouble. It's what we don't believe. It's what we won't accept. A child don't have to know everything. They believe with the faith of a child. That's how you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says in, in verse three, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you and I are as the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven when we humble ourselves as a little child. Now notice this. The Bible says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. So we would say here that Jesus is saying that if the disciples would receive a little one, that it was as good as receiving him, Brother Marvin. Now, a lot of good things happen when I receive Jesus. Jesus said it's important that you receive a little one. So he appreciates it just the same as if you received him. You understand that? Now, the Bible says here, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck those are some very heavy words. And that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. It'd be better for you to be dead than for you to offend one of these little ones. Now what happens when a person... Now, now let me, before I make this point, what's the Bible say here? But who shall offend one of these little ones which what? Believe. Now the Bible says, he that believeth not is condemned. He which believe is not condemned, but he which believeth not is condemned already. He's saying, you're taking a believer. You need to notice this. 
Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. How do we get saved with childlike faith? How? We was extended grace by faith. These little child that's being used as an example, Jesus is saying, which believe on me, believe in me. These little children that he's using for an example are believers. Not just lost and undone, but believers that put their childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the child would be believing in Jesus, but having to deal with the followers of Jesus. Are you following me right here? So he said, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him than a millstone were hanged about his neck. So a young convert is what? A babe which desires the sincere milk of the word that they may what? Grow thereby. A child not only has faith, but a child has no ability to, offend, to take care of itself. A child is relying on someone else to give it what it needs for growth. The Bible says to grow in grace and knowledge. How does a child do that? It must be taught. It must be discipled. He's telling the disciples you need to disciple. Don't ruin it. Don't be self-righteous. Don't stick your ignorant better than them nose down there and offend them and lose the opportunity to help them become what it is that I need them to become so that they can have the spiritual ability to take themselves the rest of the way. And so, essentially, whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. What, what is the definition of offend? Now, we look at it in the, the, the primary definition, but we don't often utilize the second definition. Offend is to displease or make angry. Well, we like to uh, preach on, cry loud, and spare not. Is that wrong? No, and I don't back up from it for one second. But here again, we don't run off in a ditch. We cry loud, we spare not, we lift up our voice like a trumpet, we preach the gospel, we, we, we live of the gospel, we, we take the word of God for all things, uh, authority of the word of God for all things faith and practice. We live by it to the bitter end, we're not going to sway, we're not going to stray, we're going to stay right down the middle in the old paths. But while we do it, we better not forget that he paid something for nothing. Now, to offend is to displease or make angry. So sometimes we have the attitude, well, I don't matter if it bothers them or not. Well, it shouldn't matter if the truth is preached in love. You can't help what somebody likes or don't like. No matter whether you cut or the Bible cuts, people don't like to be cut. So we don't get all together hung up on that. But here's the other definition. To shock or wound. To shock someone means something happened that they did not expect. When Miss Tammy jumps out of her shoes in the truck when Lydia walks by of an evening, she's been shocked. She wasn't expecting someone to come by. And it's a frantic moment. Do you realize that sometimes in our self-righteous attitude, in our willingness to, to serve God and defend Him, because He needs us to defend Him, you know, that what we end up doing is we end up shocking little babes in Christ. We scare them or we offend them or hurt them or get them in front of people and say things or do things that embarrass the fire out of them and cause them to want to get under a pew and hide because they feel so belittled. And you know what happened? A lot of times, Brother Marvin, the person that offended doesn't fully understand what they've done. Because you don't have to work at this for it to become natural. You already have, Brother Donnie, what it takes naturally to offend somebody by taking on a self-righteous attitude. Listen, we live in a country today where people are expecting something for nothing. There's people right now that will not go to work. They're expecting the government to pay them to sit on their haunches. And they think that that's right. And they like it. And they want it. They want something for nothing. You know what's happened? They've had something for nothing so long that they feel entitled. 
Now, all of us, when we get the blessings of God repeatedly, we start to feel entitled. Sometimes to the point that when the Lord don't jump at our beck and call or move the second that we think he ought to, we want to ask the question, why? Why does bad things happen to good people? The question is, why do good things happen to bad people? Every one of us deserved hell. And we have that attitude that we're entitled. And if God moves his hand away for just a second to allow us to feel a little pressure, mm, we want to turn on God. God's just standing there going, well, are you going to really stick with me or aren't you? So we see here that offend is to shock or to wound. It'd be better for you and me to have a millstone put around our neck than to think we're defending God, doing him some great justice to get hasty in anything we say or do. And listen, it don't have to be just a little bitty babe in Christ. The more consecrated, separated, dedicated you become, the more like Christ you become, the more careful you have to be with becoming self-righteous. Now you and I are to do what? Constantly get closer to him. We should constantly be moving up. But the closer we get, the easier it becomes to shock and to wound if you and I don't get past the mentality that Jesus does not need us to defend him. He needs us to love him and serve him. He's a big enough God to defend himself. We preach that Bible and we do right and live right and trust. We teach, we take opportunity. We better be careful in whacking the ears off of people in the name of defending the Jesus that we love so much that in just a few verses down the way we're going to be denying him anyway as soon as trouble comes. Let's all stand to our feet tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Sister, if you'll come to the piano for just a moment, I, I'd like for you to play a verse or two of invitation. And I, 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 I have felt like all day, that is what the Lord would have me to deal with tonight, and I'm certain that, that, that that's the message for the hour. This know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. We're in them. But even though we're in them, we're going to have to be careful to be meek, apt to teach, patient, gentle, gentle. Gentle. It's hard to be gentle in a world that's as rough as the world we're living in and the rougher that it's going to become. I would ask you, I would ask you this evening, how gentle are you? How gentle are you? Listen, we all have personalities today. We all have different personalities today. There are some people, Brother Marvin, just by their nature are sweet as apple pie. And there's some that grew up like me that's as abrasive as a scotch pad in the dish sink. That's just how we are. And I'm going to tell you something. Regardless of your personality, our personality is no excuse. Amen. If we have a personality problem, we have to work through our problem. I have it. I know what I'm talking about. I am not above reproach. I am not above having to go to somebody and telling them in love, I have made a mistake. I am sorry. I did not mean to do that. But I find that I did it immediately before I even thought. My mouth opened before my brain engaged. Why? Because I was born with that carnal flesh. We're all incapable of being gentle without the grace of God. So I would say to you this tonight. It's not that you have a problem nobody else got. We all were born with that problem. And we all need to be considerate of what it is to realize that the Lord paid something for nothing and is using a nothing 
to help other people come to the realization that they are nothing so that he can make them something through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's hard to do. If it was easy, if it was easy, we wouldn't have problems like we had. It's not easy. It's hard to do. And I got news for you. It can't be done without the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't possess the ability apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I think about the millstone that was threatened to be hung around the disciples' neck for the way they discipled if they didn't disciple right. Nothing was said about heaven or hell. He said it would be better for you just to be drowned with a millstone around your neck than to offend. I wonder how many we've offended in our life. How many people have you offended? How many have I offended? Maybe tonight there's somebody you need to go talk to. Maybe there's something that, that you need to fit. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no preconceived notion whatsoever other than the Lord worked this in my own heart. I've preached a lot on separation, and I, I mean everything I preached. Everything. We better not run off in that ditch either. And I think this was just a good message tonight for the Lord to say, hey, don't cross the two, don't, don't cross the two lane and hit the other ditch. Stay right down the middle, and I'll help you be what I want you to be. If you need to come, you come while she plays.